We are so grateful and honored and really humbled that you've chosen to spend this time together. We know that this is an important part of your spiritual walk, your your relationship with Jesus, and we honor that and we are we're grateful that even though we might be separated by some distance wherever you're watching this from, that you get to join with us. We also want to be able to communicate how much we want to actually see you. We want to really actually know you. And some of you who have been joining us in this online space for quite some time, we've never even met. We would love the opportunity to see you face to face, to shake your hand, to give you a hug, to share a cup of coffee with you. And we believe here in Conduit in the tremendous, tremendous power of the gathered gospel community as we together with one voice worship the Lord, as we together with one with one ear, both physical and spiritual ears, open, open our hearing to the word of God being proclaimed in our midst. And when we gather with those who love us and care for us or, and are on the same journey as we are, if you're one of those people that we've never gotten the opportunity to actually physically meet, we really want to connect with you. We want to be a part of your life and we want you to be a part of our lives. And so if that is you and you are, you are willing to take that next step in connection with us here at Conduit, we have two options for you in order to connect maybe just a little bit deeper. If you're willing to share your contact info with us in one of two ways or in two ways, then we'll get in touch with you and we'll set it all up. We'll make sure that you have the means to get here or that maybe we can just sit down and have a cup of coffee sometime. Two, two main ways are this. Number one is you can download our app, which can be found on Church Center. Go to Church Center, the Church Center app in the App Store or Google Play Store. Connect with Conduit Ministries. And on the very home page of our app, there's a Welcome Home button, which will take you to a contact information card. You can fill all that information and we'll get in touch with you. The second way is to simply just send us an email and say, hey, I would like to connect with you at Conduit. That email address is info at conduitministries.com. Give us a little bit of basic information, your name, your phone number, your email, the best way to get in touch with you. And someone from our staff, either myself or Pastor Luke or someone else, will reach out to you just to get to know you a little bit more. We really, really want to know you more in a more deep way, in a more connected way. And we're hoping that you feel the same way. We love you. And let's go into worship. the church center app and connect it to conduit ministries there's a welcome home button on that home page and it'll take you to a place and there's all those options there as well and the reason taking moment to highlight that is because in two weeks not this next sunday but the following sunday on father's day we're going to be having a tent service which is fun right outside um, in this beautiful weather we're going to be just right out there uh, and we're going to take the opportunity to also uh, be having some baptisms, um, to be celebrating what Christ is doing internally in the lives of people who are following Christ. 
Right? It's this external showing of the spiritual reality of what has happened when Jesus Christ comes into our lives and begins to change everything. Right? We, we put people down into the water, not just because we like getting people wet. Right? We put them down there because Christ went down into the grave. And then we bring them back out of the water because Christ came up out of the grave. And when we have faith in Jesus Christ, we are united in his death and his resurrection. We are now dead to sin and to the old life and to brokenness and the pain and all of the things of this life that once ruled us. And we are now alive to new life and to Christ and to his life. And baptism is the celebration of that. It's the visible showing of that reality of the gospel in its most simplest form. And so if you have thought about and you've been considering or you want to consider baptism as a next step, like fill out that welcome home card. We'd love to celebrate what Christ is doing in your life. We don't, we don't put a bunch of restrictions. We don't make it difficult to be baptized because we see in the Bible that people would say, I believe in Jesus, and then they would get baptized. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, whether you've been doing it for a long time or you've just started or you're like, it's, it, there's no better time to get baptized than now. And so I um, would encourage you to fill that out and we'll connect with you um, over the next two weeks and we'll see about making that happen. Um, with all of that out of the way, um, not out of the way, that was pretty fun and important to talk about. Um, but with all of that being said, I want to now take us a moment to pray again, um, so that we can prepare our hearts, um, to hear what God has for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just the opportunity we have to be here. God, I ask that as Cameron comes up here to deliver your word, that you would be preparing his heart, that you would be preparing our ears and our hearts to receive what you have for us. Lord, might the gospel be more clear to us today. Might who you are and who your son Jesus is, be more clear to us today. Lord, might your Holy Spirit be working in our hearts today, this morning in the service, but throughout the rest of today. Might you be bringing us into a closer fellowship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Luke. Good morning, Conduit. How are you? Good. It's nice to see you all. This morning, I am, I am indeed excited, although the excitement was not extraordinarily palatable in the room about uh, um, our outdoor services. If you've never been, if you've never uh, been here, there was, so like the first summer that we had COVID or that COVID was a thing, right? Uh, 2020, we decided, you know, like, okay, we're not allowed to meet inside or so but there's no regulations about big tents outside. So we put a big tent outside and we worshiped for a while outside in a big tent. And for, I mean, it was, it was a couple months and, um, I felt like it was a real, it was a real blessing. 
And it was a it was a real great time of worship and community, and the Holy Spirit was moving. And so we're trying to make it um, more of a traditional, regular thing that we do here is take some Sundays throughout the year and worship outside. And so um, Father's Day is will be the first Sunday of the summer that we do that, and then the tent will come down for a little while, and then we'll have the tent back. Um, I think a few times in the summer. Uh, just to give us an opportunity to get outside and to worship, and what what um, what greater what greater excuse to fill um, our baptismal pool than having an outdoor service and celebrating outside? So um, those are the every every Sunday or every time we gather as a community is a great time. Um, I don't know. I think you will. I think you will have a hard time arguing. Um, the celebration that is um, so the times where we get to celebrate someone's public profession of faith in Jesus Christ, um, and so I hope that you'll I hope that you'll join us in that on uh, Father's Day. And like as Pastor Luke was explaining, if you if you sense the Holy Spirit's calling upon your heart and life to to make that public profession, that's what we believe uh, baptism is. It's a it's an outward symbol or sign of an inward or spiritual commitment, not too dissimilar to the fact that you see a ring on my finger and you understand that it symbolizes or signifies an inward commitment that I've made uh, before my Heavenly Father and to my wife in the covenant of marriage. Baptism is kind of that, that wedding ring of faith in Jesus. And uh, we hope that you'll, you'll be here as a community to witness those who are taking that public profession or making that public profession. And if you are a person that would like to make that profession for the first time in your life, we would, we would love to be a part of your walk with Jesus. So um, make sure you bring a camp chair or a chair to sit in, a blanket to sit on, something, something to, unless you just want to camp out in the grass, we'll have a few chairs available for you on that day. Not next week, but Father's Day, okay? Um, so we're in this little mini series on or in the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus utilizes or well first we know that because we talked about it the last few weeks that that John when writing his gospel had a very specific purpose or point to writing it. In uh John chapter 20 verse 31, he says I, I have written these things, right? I have recorded these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in him there is life. Um, and so John's purpose of his gospel is really, he doesn't mince words, he doesn't beat around the bush like your pastor does a lot. He's not very wordy, right? He just says it like, I'm writing these things so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in him there is eternal life. Like, that's the point of all these things that I'm writing down. And so when you begin to read the Gospel of John, you have a context for the reason why he's writing the way he is and maybe why he writes what he does. There are, in the Gospel of John, there are these things that um, we've come to know as the I am sayings where Jesus says, I am, for instance, I am the resurrection and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the bread of life. 
I am living water. I am the vine. I am the light. I am the shepherd that guards the gate. I am the good shepherd. He uses these kind of these common things that would that they're familiar to us, but they would have been exceptionally familiar to his actual audience or the people that were around him. He uses these kind of common symbols to describe um, that 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 people all of people's spiritual and human longings are inevitably traced back to and met in him himself so like we're going to talk today about Jesus being the the bread of life and how Jesus used um Jesus used bread as an example of how all human longing is met in and satisfied in him. Now, why bread? Why would we why would Jesus use bread? Well, we're going to we're going to be in John chapter 6 this morning. So remember as has been our as has been our um uh pattern here, if you have your Bible with you, the Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, which is the back third of the Bible. And the Gospel of John is the last of the four Gospels. I'll continue to encourage you to bring your own personal copy of the Scripture if you have one, um, so that you can study and read along with us. If you don't have your own personal copy of the Scripture, um, I would absolutely love the opportunity for you to steal the one that's in the seat next to you. Take it home. Write your name on it. Make it your own. It's yours. It's there for you. Okay? Um, We have some available in the back as well. Take one for yourself. Take one for your spouse or your friend or your kid or whoever. Um, But then then bring it with you. Okay? Uh, Try and bring your Bibles with you on Sundays so that we can see um, in the Word together. And um, in the beginning of John chapter 6, um, starting at verse 1, we're not going to read it, but um, verse 1, you see that Jesus does the real famous miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, right? A big crowd of people, all that they had was the offering of the boy, you know, uh, a, few loaves of fi- a few loaves of bread and a few small fish, and Jesus multiplies that and feeds 5,000 people, and they were, they, were, they were stuffed to the rafters and there was food left over, Right? And then Jesus, Jesus needed a little bit, he needed a little break, right? Jesus needed a little Sabbath, a little sabbatical period, right? And so he, after this big miracle, right, he took off on a boat and he went to the other side of the lake, right? And the crowd of people in this like, in this desperation to see more, to experience more, to have more from Jesus, it seems, followed him around the lake. See, in verse 22 of John 6, the next day the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered with the disciples, but they had gone away alone. Once the crowd realized that, G- that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boat's and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. 
They were tracking the man down. Right? They experienced the miracle. They wanted more. And when so it comes to when it comes to the crowd and um, Jesus' conversation of bread, we hit at verse 25 of our scripture this morning, John chapter 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Teacher or rabbi, when when did you get here? Being like, hey, man, where you been at? How long did you been gone? When did you get, like, we were looking for you. We were chasing you down. Jesus answered them relatively, um, relatively plainly. I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. It's a, maybe not the typical type of spirit that we see or expect or hear from Jesus. Right? He was really honest with what he understood as the motivation of the crowd in chasing him all around the Holy Land. Right? You're, hey man, you're, you're here. I get it. I see it. You're here. But not because you're necessarily looking for something miraculous from the Son of God, but because you're wondering if there's going to be another meal. He doesn't make a value judgment on it. He just, he just kind of states what is obviously happening in the moment, right? Like that the, crowd's, the crowd is chasing, down, chasing him down in the midst of their need. Their desire to continue to have their stomachs full. Well, Jesus sees on this opportunity to talk about the uh, maybe a, a, a deeper um, a deeper spiritual longing that was existing there and that he was intending to fill. Jesus, uh, verse 26, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate your loaves and had your fill. Verse 27. This is where it kind of switches. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. On Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. When they asked Him, what what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered answered them, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. And so they asked him, well, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. And as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven, or for the bread of God, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me would never or will never be thirsty. We're going to pause right there for a moment. So Jesus addresses the crowd head on by by 
by telling them that in the midst of their in the midst of their pursuit of him, in the midst of their pursuit of more bread to fill their stomachs, that they should be considering something even more significant. But what? But they should be considering pursuing something even more significant that addresses the eternal longing that their hearts represent. He says, do not work for food that spoils. You're putting so much energy into chasing me down so that you can have bread for your stomach. That bread will someday spoil. Take the same level of intensity and energy to pursue bread that doesn't spoil and that it endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. I think we all begin to see the parallel there that even Jesus Himself is beginning to describe for His audience. Is that there is the pursuit of a food that spoils. Bread. Right? And there is a pursuit of a food or a bread that does not spoil, that endures to eternal life, Jesus says in verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. I want to be honest with you. I feel like sometimes I am quite the expert at pursuing food that spoils. At, at, aligning my, at aligning my life, right? My aligning my priorities, setting my setting my focus on um, ensuring that I organize the circumstances of my life so that I'm like maybe um, I'm comfortable in the here and now, or maybe I have a, uh, like maybe, maybe I have a great image, right? That I'm, I'm seen as a, as a, um, seen as the, seen as the best or whatever, or that, that life is really, really put together. Like I got all my T's crossed, right? All my I's dotted. My, um, you know, the family is all, the family is all perfect, right? The life is perfect, Marriage is perfect. The job is perfect. My my uh, my emotional, mental, spiritual, physical health is perfect. You know, like super successful. Like or really working towards ensuring that the image of Cameron Linehart is seen as really, really good. You can say that. It is a. It ends up being a, a food that that spoils, right? What is like when, when we talk about that? Like what, when we talk about food that spoils, and we're we're making we're connecting metaphors and analogies and illustrations. Like, well, what does that really mean? Like, well, Jesus gives us a little bit of an allusion to it, right? When he says that instead of working for food that spoils, that that we should be working for food that endures into eternal life. And this isn't the only time that Jesus uses words like this or talks about stuff like this. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, the first Gospel that we have, 
and, and Jesus' most like conti- continual passage of teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about it in this type of language. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, is Jesus talking here, both in John chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 7, about a, um, about a, a, a form of living that begrudges any sense of material possession or anything nice or anything like any, uh, any, any form of wealth or anything like that. Now, Jesus, I think, has been misunderstood. The Christian faith has sometimes been generally misunderstood as one that exemplifies a life of kind of like um, enforced, enforced poverty at the expense of making sure we don't store up treasures for ourselves on earth as if somehow God desires us to live in you know, abject poverty and without anything that's nice. Now that's certainly not the case. It's certainly, not, it's certainly also not the case that um, God is standing on his throne and saying like, hey man, you follow me, you believe in me, um, and I promise you material wealth that far expands and exceeds anything that you can ask or imagine, right? Those represent the two extremes of life, right? Like that following Jesus means that we must take a vow of poverty because we don't want to store up treasures on earth. Or that following Jesus means that the Lord is going to overwhelmingly bless me with, that, with more material wealth than people who don't follow Jesus because that's what the Christian faith is all about. These are the two extremes, right? It's helpful for us and beneficial if we're going to live by a biblical perspective to live somewhere in the middle of all of that extreme which says that, 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 God, that God blesses and and provides and and allows 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 us to steward resources so that we can glorify him and that we can provide for our needs that we can be extraordinarily generous with what he has given us and he can pour out increased blessing to those who show themselves faithful in stewarding the gifts that he has given somewhere way in the middle of all of the extreme. So I want to be really, really clear with you, and I want you to hear me when I say that I don't, I'm not advocating for either one of those, okay? Because I don't believe Scripture advocates for either one of those. What I am saying here is that, is that Jesus warns us in multiple places to beware of the tendency to put too much faith in the things that we are producing, the people that we are becoming, the image that we are um, projecting right now because, they're, because those things tend to fade away and spoil like bread that is baked in an oven. 
but that when we pour, that, but that when we pursue things of eternal significance, right? We in we invest in things. Not thinking financially, right? We invest in things. We invest in a life uh, that 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 expounds in love. We invest in a life that is continually merciful. We ex- we we invest in a life that continues to show. Um, for, or extend for forgiveness and compassion and kindness and self-control and patience. We are, we are investing in things that endure into eternity. And so as Jesus is telling the crowd, hey, don't pursue, don't pursue food that spoils. Pursue food that lasts into eternity. And then the crowd... The crowd asks them this kind of question in verse 28. Well, well, well what, do, what do we tell us then? What do we have to do? What, 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 is it that we, what is it that we have to do to do the work that God requires? Like they're in this mode of like, okay, just tell us. What is it that, to do the work that God requires, what do we have to do? Anyone ever ask that question to yourselves? Sure you have, Right? If you're like wanting to walk with Jesus or you're even exploring a relationship with Jesus or if you've been walking with Jesus for 50 years, right? Some form of that question has likely entered your mind or your prayer or your conversation with Jesus. Hey God, just show me what you want me to do. All right? Show me what you would like me to do. What is the work that you require? I don't know if they were expecting an extraordinarily expansive or detailed um, answer here, but Jesus asks, or Jesus answers the question very simply in verse 29. Jesus answered, The work of God is this to believe in the one that he has sent. Well, okay, Jesus, but if, if we're going to believe in the one that he sent, well, like, what kind of miraculous sign can you, can you give to us that will prove to us that you are the one that we should believe in? That, that you are the one that actually provides for us the things that you say can be provided for us. See, because our, our forefathers, our ancestors, they had this time where they were wandering in the desert and they were in significant need of God to show up in their life. And the way that God showed up in their life was to provide them with with manna and quail every day. And they ate of the desert and that's how they knew that God was still with them. So, Jesus, what are you going to do to kind of prove, uh, prove it to us in the same way? And Jesus, um, Jesus kind of answered the whole question by, by um, he, he kind of answered the whole thing by talking about, um, or you have to, we have to understand what the crowd was saying to Jesus in order for us to understand Jesus' answer to them. So the crowd makes this like, they make this connection to how their forefathers, right, the Jewish people, as they were coming out of slavery in Egypt and as they were on this 
path to the promised land as it would be someday. Um, They were complaining and grumbling to Moses, their leader. Hey, look, back in Egypt, we sat around pots full of stew and ate and had our fill. Now we're walking in in proposed faithfulness and obedience to God's deliverance, but we're starving. So is God going to show up for us or not? And so God, God answered, God answered that grumbling and answered that calling out by, by providing for them in a, in a daily way. And he told them, he's like, look, every night I'm going to send manna from heaven. And, um, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to appear on the ground to you. And well, well, what is manna? The literal translation of the word manna. Do you know what it is? Anyone know what it is? This is like Bible trivia. If you get it, I'll give you a sucker or something. Anyone know? It's funny, right? Because manna is like, Hayden knows. What is it? What is it? Exactly, right? The, little, the literal definition of manna is, what is it? What is it? So it's not like a it's not like a thing that they had on their restaurant menus back then. Like, oh, I'll take a side of manna, right? And no, it's not that. It was like this mysterious but bountiful and plentiful provision of God, but they saw it and there was no other way to explain it, so it was called manna because the word manna literally means what is it? Right? But it was a way in which God, right? showed his desire to provide for their hunger. But the funny thing about manna was this, is that it came every single day without fail, except on Sunday, the Sabbath, right? It came every single day. And if an overzealous person going out to collect manna off the ground for that night, felt like, you know, man... What if God doesn't show up tomorrow? What if he forgets? What if he takes a day off? I need to take a little bit more than I actually need for today. And I'm going to save it. And I'm going to trust trust myself more than I'm going to trust the God that says I'm with you always. Right? And I'm going to save it so that I make sure I have enough for the next day. And it said that every time someone did that, the next morning they woke up and the manna that they tried to save was full of maggots and was rotting. Right? Listen. Because every attempt that we make to provide for our own internal satisfaction and desire ends up just turning, spoiling and turning into maggots. We live in a very independent, autonomous, pull myself up by my bootstraps, do it all by myself. I don't need no one to do nothing for me ever. I'm a hard worker. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to provide for all these things. Everything that I need in life is going to come through my own toil and hard work. And like, listen, no one is a, no one is a greater advocate of hard work and like grinding to make life ends meet than me. 
All right? But I'm going to say that there is a, it's, we're not talking about the actual hard work that comes from providing for your family and earning a living wage. We're talking about the internal disposition that says, I do not trust God to take care of me. I need to take care of eternally my own self. And so I will ask God, hey God, what is it required for me to do the good works that you, what is it, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Like the crowd said. What do I need to do? Just tell me what I need to do, God. And I'll, and I'll do the work that you require. And what Jesus is going to say is like, you're, you're so tied up with this internal desire to do it all on your own or to provide for your own self, both physically and eternally, that all of that is just food that spoils. The work that God requires to satisfy every eternal longing that you have in your soul is to believe in the one that he sent and his name is Jesus. And so Jesus answers the crowd in this very way. Oh, you want, okay, you want a sign or a symbol that just like manna in heaven, God's going to take care of you now? All right. What miraculous sign will, there, will you give that we may see it and believe you? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth in verse 32. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so now the crowd is like, oh wait, there's, there's true bread from heaven? It, that God sends true bread from heaven to come down from, and, and it gives life to the world? And then the crowd still seemingly, not seeing the forest for the trees, said, oh sir, please give us of this bread. We want that bread. And Jesus just flat out says, it's me. It's me. I am the bread of life that has come down from heaven. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. And here we see this continual pattern in, in, the whole, in the whole discourse of John chapter 6, and really in the whole gospel of John, is this. Other things only satisfy the internal longings of our hearts temporarily. Jesus comes down from heaven, and by believing in Him, every human and spiritual and eternal longing that we have is satisfied. Every bit of brokenness, every hole, every darkness, every piece of hopelessness that exists in us is satisfied in Jesus Christ. Now the crowd offers kind of a classic response even to our own internal questions will be like, I mean, come on now, really? All of them? Like Jesus satisfies it all? Like every hunger and every thirst? It's, it's all of it? And the crowd says the same thing, essentially, in verses 41 and 42. At, at this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, 
I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? What, what do they say? Hey, look, I don't buy it. I don't buy it that, that this guy, Jesus, is the one that is to satisfy every hunger and thirst that exists in our souls. It can't possibly be that that we were missing. That can't possibly be why there is this hole that I feel in my soul. That can't possibly be why it feels like my life is just one puzzle that has a missing piece right in the center of it. It can't just be that the eternal longing that keeps me, my, my spirit and my mind churning is satisfied in this guy named Jesus. But I can tell you this, that hopelessness that exists, that hole in your soul, that missing piece in your heart, that eternal longing that is just screaming for significance and filling that is there, you've tried to fill it. You've tried. You've tried, you've, you've tried to to quelch the screaming of your soul with your career. That it would bring eternal purpose and answer all of the questions and give you a pathway forward. You've tried to do it with your family. I'm just going to throw myself into the life of my kids and I'm just going to I'm just going to live for my kids and my kids are my world. I'm like, "Listen, I got 5 of them and I get it more than anyone else, but listen, you put your kids and your family in jeopardy." When you place them before God. I've tried to fill that hole, that eternal longing in my life by like, man, I read every one of Oprah's books, right? And every new self-help book that comes out and every single podcast and every single website and every single TED talk and every single YouTube video. And I'm just trying to will myself into having more discipline and determination and, and um, time management and, and learning how to do this and learning how to lead people well and learning how to be a leader that everyone likes. And you've been trying to fill and fill and fill and fill and fill and you've tried to fill it with your social life and in your relationships. You've, you've tried to just increase all of the things that are good. If I can just get more good things in my life and jettison everything that is bad. And yet, despite your greatest effort, sometimes for decades upon decades upon decades, you're left with this sense of like, why is it still here? Why is my soul still screaming for something more? Why is my heart still empty? Why do I still know that there is more to this world, to this life, to this existence that I've been striving to work for, but I can't seem to make the ends connect? Because there is only one bread that satisfies every hunger. And there's only one water that satisfies every thirst. And his name is Jesus. Well, but 
I've been following Jesus for years and years and years and years, and still I feel this way, and still I feel these longings. If I have Jesus already, and I still feel this way, that how can that possibly be the answer that I just need? Do I not have all of him? Do I not have all of Jesus? And the question is not, do you have all of Jesus? Because the unequivocal answer to that is yes. The question is, does Jesus have all of you? Because likely the answer is no. You don't need more of the Holy Spirit. You got all of the Holy Spirit at the moment of faith in Jesus Christ. He came crashing into your life like a wrecking ball. You got it all. God's not withholding his spirit from you as like some kind of game, teasing you along with, I'll give you more. Do you want a little bit more of me now? Do you want a little bit more of me now? No, he gave you all of himself fully in Jesus Christ, right? The veil was torn. You have full access to the Father. The Holy Spirit lives in you by faith in Jesus. You have everything that you need for life and godliness. The question is, does he have all of you? Has he become the bread of life that you turn to to satisfy every hunger and longing? Because what may look like his absence from you in certain like in certain sections or seasons of your life is often just our lack of surrender to the how and to the what of what need what, what actually and truly Jesus wants to address in your life. I got this longing, I got this hole in my heart, and like I have Jesus, so I don't know what the deal is. But here, you're like giving Jesus the Heisman the entire time because you're like, there's an area of your heart, there's an area of your soul that you're really afraid of what Jesus is going to do when you let him in that thing or how Jesus is going to bring redemption and healing and new life to that thing because it's going to require something of you that you're afraid to give, that you're scared to surrender that you're unsure of what it's going to cost. Jesus, fix this relationship. Why is it so hard? Why is it so broken? Why is it like why is this happening to me all the time? And what we what we often mean in a situation like this when we stomp our feet wondering why Jesus won't we have Jesus but he won't fix this relationship is what our our mouth is saying is fix the relationship. What our soul is screaming is fix the person that's doing all the stupid things. Do you see what that person is doing? Who they are? What, how they're acting? What they're saying? They're causing all kinds of pain and grief in my life. But listen, this is just an example, all right? When, we, when we're asking Jesus to do something, we're... we're we're saying we want him to fix the relationship. And what he's saying is, I want to fix the relationship, but what I really want to do is I want to see you humble yourself. I want to see you soften your heart. 
I want to see you own your own stuff. I want to see you seek peace and pursue it. I want to see you love your enemy and go the extra mile. But that's not what I meant, Jesus. I want you to fix them. Well, I, Jesus, I love them. I just, I, I love them, but I, I hate their sin. And we fold our arms in some kind of like, like Jesus is impressed with us hating their sin, but loving them. Right? See, I think Jesus would be much more impressed and be like, you know, Lord, I love them and I hate my own sin. I hate the hardness of my heart that is keeping that is keeping me from like experiencing true freedom and true satisfaction in you in that relationship. You see when we like those of if you have Jesus, right? If you live if you have if you've believed by Jesus in faith and you've accepted Jesus into your life and you're living as a disciple of Jesus, right? Oftentimes, or like what, I think what we need to hear in moments like this is that if we feast only on the bread of how we see it and how we want it to go, then we're feasting on bread that's going to spoil. But if we, if we ask Jesus, right, to be the bread of life that we need to be satisfied in this situation, in that situation, in this situation, and that, that he will, he, he will show us, and he will be, and he will transform, and he will redeem, and he will, and, and, and he will bring resolution to those things. There, when when we gather together, um, when we when we gather together as a community, as a faith community here, we often gather around symbolic, um, or like with images here, with symbols. And again. Just like baptism is a symbol of uh, an inward commitment, right? And that a symbol always points to something that is more significant than itself. So like the water of baptism, there's nothing special about the water that we fill the baptismal with, right? There's nothing special about the bread and the, the juice that we... I, we got it at Wegmans, Okay. The, the bread and the wine of communion, they don't, they don't come from heaven, right? Um, in an actual way. So like, the stuff that we have here helps us to, helps us to bring, um, bring tangible witness to, to an expression of faith that is then lived, lived out in our life, right? And so communion is one of those things that we that we do to bring witness to the expression of faith that says there is one bread 
that satisfies every hunger. There is one cup that satisfies every thirst. And that we believe when we come forward to take of the bread at the table and to take of the cup, that we are receiving by faith the promise that Jesus offers us to satisfy every single longing of our life in Him. Jesus shared a similar meal with His disciples. Many times, I, I would gather, where He took a loaf of bread, gave it to His, broke the bread, gave thanks to His heavenly Father for the bread, and then gave the bread to His disciples, saying, Take and eat of this bread, all of you. This is My body which has been broken for you. Take and eat it in remembrance of Me. And likewise, Jesus took the cup, and He gave thanks to His heavenly Father for the cup, and then He gave the cup to His disciples, and He said, Take and drink of this cup, all of you. This is my blood which has been poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so now these elements, familiar to us as things that we might buy in a store, become for us uh, actual expressions of our faith in Jesus Christ. The gift that is offered to us in the broken body of Jesus Christ and the shed blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And in a moment like today, where where we're reading out of John chapter 6 and we hear Jesus tell the crowd that, that, that He is the bread that has come down from heaven that satisfies every hunger. And He is the cup that satisfies every thirst. Now we have an opportunity as a witnessing community of faith to come forward to say, Jesus, I receive of what you have to offer me. Like, yes, Lord, I I believe in you. I receive you. I desire, Lord, that you be for me true bread from heaven, not bread that spoils, not bread that confuses, not bread that's all about me, not bread that's going to keep me in hopelessness or darkness or desperation or fear or anxiety but bread that satisfies every human longing that I could ever, ever possibly need. Jesus, I receive it in you. The question is all, often asked to me, what, like, what does it require for me to come up and take communion here at Conduit? Do I need to go through a class? Do I need to believe a certain number of theological points? Do I need to go through like X, Y, or Z? Do I have a conversation with you or whatever? No, like, it's really, human beings like to make it really complicated, right? I think, I think it's actually pretty simple, right? If you desire Jesus to be true bread for heaven for you, bread that satisfies every hunger, a cup that satisfies every thirst, if you desire to receive what the symbols essentially represent, the forgiveness of God in the brokenness of Jesus, the the cleansing of your sins through the shedding of his blood, if you desire and believe to receive the gift of God that is offered to you in Jesus Christ by faith, then the communion table is open for you.
And this goes for your children as well. Think about, well, I mean, how much can kids actually understand about the theology of the cross and, and the atonement of sins? And the, How much do you understand? Right? I don't understand it all. What I do know is that Jesus has offered himself to me freely as a gift, the forgiveness of my sins. He, he says, I am the true bread. Come and believe in me and receive. Right? And, and, and each one of us comes in our, in, our own, in our own way of belief, in our own, like, in our own spot on our journey of belief. And, and Jesus offers himself to you if you're following him on day one, just as much as he offers himself to you if you're the most significant theologian that has ever walked the face of this earth. That Jesus offers himself to you. You of faith of a mustard seed and you of faith of a mountain. And so we do not withhold the table of the Lord or the elements of the Lord to anyone who would come in faith. We take communion here by a method called intinction, which is mean you'll, you, you come forward and you'll, you'll tear off a piece of the bread and then you can dip it in the cup and you can take communion right at that time. You can also carry it back with you to your seat and take it when you sit if you would like. Um, both, both sides of the sanctuary for the prayer kneelers are open. You are welcome after you. We'll, we'll have you come through the center aisle, come out and take a piece of bread. Pastor Luke and I will be on both sides. Take communion at that point if you would like to return to your seats to the outside aisle. If you'd like to spend any time praying at the altar, we would, uh, of course, we, we invite you to do so. Um, and then we will finish closing uh, by closing the service. Um, invite the worship team forward first um, and serve them. And uh, then we'll invite the rest of you up.